Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 10 of Music Nerds Unite. I am Matt, and with me is Scott. How you doing, Scott? Doing good. Scott's doing good, and we are beginning another tournament. This one, sort of the NIT, uh, just the slightly, not below, but slightly less than, you know, what we were riffing on um, earlier with the, uh, the 64 entity bracket for the best rock that the Beatles won of all time. The best of the rest, I guess yes. we could say. This would be the best of the rest. Um, and we've got a couple different brackets broken out, actually. Um, we're doing 10 teams per bracket. And the first two seeds in each bracket are getting buys into the semis in that bracket. We're doing classic rock, heavy metal. Well, heavy metal slash hard rock, we'll say. Heavy metal slash hard rock, yeah. The indie or alternative bracket. And then just straight up top to bottom women. Um, powerful women songwriters and bands um, just because I mean we were kind of lacking in the women in the original tournament so this is our way to try to make up for that a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, yeah so the seedings Matt mostly did uh, this is, you know again as with the prior one I, I don't entirely agree with all of them but we, we think the that will make for some interesting matchups. And uh, we did try to get the first two seeds right, or, uh, you know, or come to a consensus anyway. There's no right in any of this, it's all opinion. But we, we did try to come to a consensus, uh, given that they, they get the buys. So we, we felt, uh, you know, those, those artists had to really earn those. And uh, so I think today we're gonna try to go through the classic rock uh, bracket. Oh, and one more thing is, uh, you know, we do this kind of off the cuff. Uh, it's very spontaneous. We, we kind of wing it, right? And uh, as a result, we, we do make mistakes from time to time. So uh, I do try to kind of listen back and, and make corrections and, and maybe uh, not only corrections, but add some things that maybe we wish we would have said that we didn't. So uh, check the descriptions uh, for each episode because they have some little tidbits that uh, maybe some corrections and uh, additional info that might be interesting. Yeah, I feel like whenever I start talking, you have to type frantically all of your notes of things I'm going to say that's incorrect. <laughs> 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 Just to protect us from the, um, the nerds that have united. <laughs> so we're uh, going to open it off with classic rock. Um, and here are the seeds that Scott just distanced himself from. <laughs> <laughs> you noticed how I did that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Number one seed is Eric Clapton, but essentially everything he's done besides Cream. Uh, that's not true, I don't think. It, it's, it's everything he's done where he was the main guy. Okay. So that doesn't include the Yardbirds. Maybe she could have been in this now that I think about it. But anyway, it doesn't include John Mayall. It doesn't include mm. Mark Faith. But it does include Derek and the Dominoes, Derek. which yep. is very important. All right. And the number two seed, all eras included, San Francisco's own 
The Grateful Dead. Which we talked about at length during our read <laughs> So here we go. They're back. And frankly, <laughs> when I seated them, I seated them low so that I wouldn't be accused of uh, nepotism with my family members in the dead. <laughs> we had them bring them up. So Clapton and the dead get the first round by. So yeah. first two rounds, I believe. Yep, first two rounds into the semis of this bracket. Just the math with the 10, uh, 10 different quote unquote teams. So. Mm -hmm. And we've now got number three seed, Santana. Number four seed, Rod Stewart, number five seed, Journey, number six, Steely Dan, number seven, Chicago, number eight, Leonard Skinnerd, number nine, ZZ Top, and number 10, Bob Seeger. Nothing wrong with any of those seeds whatsoever. So we've got uh, number three, Santana, against Bob Seeger, number 10 seed. Let's get into it. All right. Uh, I think this tournament is actually going to be more interesting than the other one because I think it's going to be less predictable. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an interesting matchup. Uh, I always say that. Well, I don't know why I always start like that. But they all are interesting. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, Santana has a, had a long, interesting – they both had long, interesting careers, actually. Uh, where to start? Uh, Santana started – really announced himself at Woodstock, right? I mean, they, Santana, everyone thinks of Santana as the guy, Carlos Santana, but when they started out, they were a band called Santana, and they remained that at least for, I would say, the first four or so albums, maybe even more, um, but uh, they hit the stage as virtual unknowns, and they left the stage as superstars. That's how spectacular they were. Uh, and, you know, Soul Sacrifice especially stood out and one of the greatest drum souls of all time. Um, I'm, I'm blanking out on his name, but he's a great drummer. I'll, I'll put him in the notes. There you go. <laughs> uh, his name. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where it's going to hit me later and I'll bring him up. But uh, a great drummer. Uh, they had that Latin, you know, powerful Latin sound with the congas and the uh, you know, the percussion really made them stand out. They had those moody keyboards with Greg Raleigh later in Journey. Um, but, you know, Carlos was, you know, that he had a great guitar tone, you know, very, these long sustained notes, very soulful and uh, very energetic and pretty hard rocking too. Uh, people, uh, you know, you know, check out those early albums. They, they, they rock pretty hard, some of them, but they had this moody, you know, instrumental stuff, uh, you know, Black Magic Woman, originally a Peter Green song with Fleetwood Mac, who passed away this week, go rest in yeah. peace. Uh, you know, Evil Ways, Oye Como Va, you know, they had some great tunes and nobody to depend on. And then, you know, they the, 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 those first three albums were really good, the original band, and then they, this, their fourth album, they went into a more, uh, you know, fusion kind of direction, got more jazzy, and that's when Neil Sean joined the band also later in Journey, the 16-year-old old guitar wonderkind, and uh, they really, that's a great album, actually, a lot of great guitar in that album, very spiritual, and Carlos is a very spiritual kind of guy, and uh, so they went more in that fusion-y kind of direction, they, they continued to do 
uh, more good stuff. Uh, the excellent live album called Lotus. Another half live album called Moonflower had some really good stuff. And sure. and then uh, later on, the you know he went more. You know they've had a lot of band turnover. You know then became just Carlos and a bunch of guys after a while, who they still called Santana. You know and. Uh, it wasn't quite the same. Like many bands in the eighties, they got more commercial. Mm-hmm. But even in the eighties, they did some good stuff. You know, like winning. You remember the the Russ Ballard and uh, yeah, I'm very catchy. Uh, so they they still had some good things. And then he had that late career comeback with Supernatural, that was a spectacular success. I, I personally don't think it's that good of an album. Actually. You know, I feel like Carlos is almost like a guest on his own album with all these. Yeah. Guys. But it, it, it really became a phenomenon almost. We won all these Grammy Awards, became a huge hit. Smooth, of course, was the big single with Bob Thomas from yeah. 2020. But, like, you know, it just shows, you know, how durable he was. And you're talking about, you know, the first album, 70, that's 98. Now we're talking an almost 30 year career there where he's uh, very relevant and, uh, you know, that was pretty much a one-off. His subsequent stuff really hasn't lit the world on fire. The, the most interesting recent thing he did was with the original band reconvened for, I think, Santana 4, they called it, because okay. the first three albums were, were, were the original band. And, and it was, you know, it was a nice comeback album, you know, a little under the radar, but, uh, Again, Carlos is just one of the great all-time guitar players. The rest of the band, Michael Shreve, that was the drummer. The, okay. you know, the rest of the band was really good. Um, so, you know, they're going to win this matchup. Uh, but I'm going to talk about Bob as well, because Bob also goes back to the 60s. A lot of people don't realize that. He started with the Bob Seeger system, a three-piece. Um, Rambler, before the Silver Bullet? Before the Silver Bullet band, yeah. You might remember the song Ramblin' Gamblin' the Man. Uh, you, you may have heard it. And uh, there was this other great anti-war song, Two Plus Two Equals. Uh, and, you know, I forgot. There was, like, stuff after that. But uh, check that out. Two Plus Two Equals something. Uh, I don't even remember exactly what it was Would called. it be Two Plus Two Equals Five? No, it was, like, Equals, Question Mark. And like oh, one okay. Yes, yeah, so put it, put it one of the great anti-war songs, almost punk-like in its fury. And it's, we're talking 68, 69, yeah. Hmm. And then eventually, you know, he kind of churned out albums with a bit of a journeyman. One one thing that's interesting about Seeger is some of those early albums are very hard to find. I think Bob himself, for whatever reason, is not fond of them. And then he's, he's made them hard to obtain. And, but there were some good earlier albums. Uh, Back in 72 was a good one. And then he really kind of, you know, he kind of developed his grassroots following, kind of like, you know, I don't want to call him a poor man Springsteen, but kind of to a degree that maybe that's a little true. He's a little, maybe a little too middle of the road, you know, but he's got a lot of good tunes. Uh, you know, the Live Bullet was was a classic live album. Uh, just listen to Traveling Band and Beautiful Loser back to back. I mean, phenomenal turn the page uh that live version was huge yeah. and then he came into his own with night moves and stranger in town you know that's when he really kind of hit his peak and against the wind with these great songs night moves you know uh, hollywood nights feels yeah. 
uh, you know, still the same. Uh, we've got tonight, uh, Fire Lake against the wind, uh, you know, just one after another. Great songs, uh, feels like a number. Of course, I got to say, you know, mention old time rock and roll, even though I never actually yeah. cared for that. It actually thoroughly it, it annoys me whenever I hear that song because I don't think it's his one, one of his better songs, and it kind of like is his signature song, you know. But uh, he's done a lot of good stuff, and even later on, he kind of, you know, he took he disappeared for a while. He's one of those guys, you know, like Peter Gabriel. He hasn't been real prolific since. Uh, you know, maybe the the 80s, but some of his later albums kind of came back and I, I checked them out and they were, they were pretty darn, pretty good actually, better than I was expecting. So uh, I definitely, uh, I really like Bob, you know, the, you know, Silver Bullet Band, obviously uh, the strong backing band and the, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, kind of legendary Alabama, you know, they played on a ton of soul sections sessions they also played on a lot of those records along with the silver bullet band which a lot of people don't realize it was kind of like it wasn't just the silver bullet band those those guys played on a lot of these songs as well yeah. um, so he's got a lot of good stuff i always was a great singer too he had that rough you know hoarse voice you know Hell yeah. that raspy voice you know um you know had you know listen with greatest hits man it's like bam 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 you know main street was another one Till It Shines was another one. Uh, a lot of good stuff, man. So props to Bob Seger, but I, I think Santana definitely was more impactful, definitely more legendary overall. And they got that Woodstock, uh, that signature performance also. So uh, sure. Santana goes on, but but Bob, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Bob as well. I love Bob Seger. I, you know, I... Um have much more experience with Seeger than Santana for sure. But the Woodstock piece is just so iconic. And um, there's also something to be said for whether he wrote it or not, or, you know, like that supernatural record, like that your name's getting checked on this rap song or, you know, like, or, or like there's the, there's, there's a generation twice removed from Woodstock that identifies enough to even make a buck off. So maybe it was making a buck, but just that, I think that speaks to a larger influence. Certainly the level of respect that, that he, uh, you know, he got all these people, you know, to play with him and, and this record became this phenomenon, right? Yeah. It's wild. Um, but see, has some like night moves. What a great song that is. I oh, mean, but then, on the other hand, I, I mean, I didn't know that about the early stuff. I'm very interested in that um, because I've always kind of seen Seeger as a little bit of like a, a gateway to punk or a gateway to some edgier things because he is somewhat gruff and out there. He's a nut, like he's clearly top 40, clearly you yeah, know, classic yeah. rock. But he just has a, something different about him. Like, you know, like Rosalie, one of his early songs was a, a, a big song for Thin Lizzy, for example. Mm -hmm. yep. you, know, you wouldn't associate those two bands together necessarily. I've been yeah. working, him and Van Morrison both did that song. So there, there is some links there. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, you know the song Sunspot Baby? Yep. 
it's just like doesn't he have a lyric like that was uncool or man that was real unkind or something and just the way he sings it it's yeah. just man that was sure on it's ridiculous but <laughs> like that's so like we've got tonight right kenny rogers yeah. and tina easton also yeah. <laughs> he's just like he's got that kinks vibe to me like like kind of funny lyrically but also very poignant at times. Um, yeah, good point. And, and more more songs than most people realize because back in the day you heard them all over classic rock radio but a lot of those songs have disappeared over the years. But but on like he has a two CD greatest hits album. Put that on and man it's just one after another. Um, so he's done, right? This is the last note on Bob Seger? The last note on Bob Seger but I think yeah. he set him off in yeah. spot. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll pour one out for for the Silver Bullet band, even though I don't think either of us have silver bullets in our hands. But uh, you know, we'll take a sip anyway. <laughs> and now we've got number four, Rod the Mod Stewart, squaring off against number nine, ZZ Top. Top's interesting. They're they're the longest tenured band that has all of its remaining original members. Yeah, they're the only one. If you think about it, Rush would be there if Neil Peart had played on the first album. Maybe right there with him. But same three guys for since what, like maybe seventy two, seventy three. I, I don't know, like early seventies. Um, ZZ Top of has always. They've done that, you know, they have their, they're like one of those bands, right? Like the Ramones, Motorhead, ACDC, they do what they do, right? And they do it really good. They're a blues rock band. They're a boogie band. They got a great guitar player, you know, good instrumentalists all around. Their songs are, are kind of sleazy. They're, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of heads are in the gutter, but it's all with a wink and, and yeah all in good fun um i think their best early album with trace ombres and that had of course the zz top song lagrange mm -hmm. i love that one right and then of course they were kind of they're one of those bands that's interesting they were these long-term journeymen then all of a sudden they discovered synthesizers mtv get some pretty girls and some hot rods and and some long beards, and next thing you know, they're selling 10 million records, right? Eliminator, that was a huge album. But you know what? You know, some might criticize the whole, you know, going more pop, so to speak, but it was still a very strong album and uh, a lot of fun. I don't think they, you know, as far as sellout moves go, I think it was an enjoyable one. You know, they still were a good band. They didn't sell out what they were, what they were good at. You know, they still, it was like, you listen to Sharp Dressed Man, it's still, you know, it's still got that raw bluesy guitar. It's, it's still at the core of the song, you know. And, uh, you know, Afterburner was another massive hit. Yeah. Kind of like Eliminator Part 2 almost. But And, and then they kind of continued on. I, I got to admit, I kind of lost interest in some of the later stuff along the way. They stopped getting played on the radio, but... They definitely had a good run there. Um, I'm going to go with Rod, though, I think, because with, you know, Rod's one of those guys where, let's take 1968 to 
three, for example, right? Yep. You got people don't realize all well, some people don't. He started off in the Jeff Beck group. So we're gonna include that along with the faces and Rod Stewart. All yep. right, is that fair? Because you're gonna talk about hard rock. You gotta, you know, talk about Cream and, and, and Jimi Hendrix, obviously. Then you graduate to Zeppelin, and right with Zeppelin, you had the Jeff Beck group, and they were heavy as hell, and, and you know, blues rock for that time. And and they were kind of Zeppelin's peers, believe it or not. And uh, those early albums, uh, those first two albums, especially the first one, Truth, was very influential. And then uh, he left the Jeff Beck group, went solo, and simultaneously was in the faces. Not many guys have, have had these dual careers and, and done good stuff. You know, The faces were a great band. They had some great songs, Stay With Me, Ooh La La. Um, you know, maybe they, they didn't really capture their talent on record. They were more a live band but they did make some good records and they, they did a lot of good live stuff too. There's this box set, five guys walk into a bar that has a ton of live stuff and covers and it just shows how good they were. And in the meantime, you had Rod's first four solo albums were really good. Uh, Every Picture Tells a Story was a great, great album. Songs like Maggie May was just like folk and rock and just like a perfect song, like the ultimate seduced by an older woman song right and then you had songs like mandolin rain and reason to believe yeah just so they they just they, they this rootsy sound that was just so perfect and and i gotta say ron wood played on a lot of those albums and 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 he played way better on any of those albums than he ever did with the stones and i will i will say that a hundred times because he just fit them better. He was showcased far more than he ever was in the Stones. And he, he's great on those records. And the problem with Rod is then he kind of lost his way a little bit, right? Well, a lot, maybe. Uh, some of his later stuff, a lot of his later stuff really wasn't that good. And it was very pop, very slick. Uh, but he had his share of, you know, good songs even after that. You had like a song like Tonight's the Night, I Was Only Joking, Hot Legs even, right? That's a fun song. Stupid <laughs> as hell, but you can't deny those riffs, man, those those sleazy, stonesy riffs, right? Yeah. You know, Killing of Georgie was another popular one. Uh, uh, kind of made him a, a gay icon. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a bit of a sellout. He, he kind of got a big head got more into leggy blondes than, than creating great music. Uh, I guess, you know, who can blame him? You know? <laughs> at the same time, uh, you know, he could have been truer to his art at some point, and uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, still had his share of fun, but I, I think he kind of, you know, lost his way. Um, but those early albums, you know, to me still sound fantastic. And, uh, that's why I think he deserves to uh, to go forth because he was very prolific in those early years as well. So, uh, you know, you just listen to those, you know, every picture that tells a story, those early solo albums, those Faces uh, albums or that box set and throw in that Jeff Beck group stuff too, man. It's heavy it's, and it's damn good. And he just had such a unique voice. You, you hear one note and you know it's Rod Stewart, you know. And even with his later stuff, he, he still can sing. He still has that that voice. And uh, as a result, you know, he's going to go forward. Are you referring to the 
the 80s Rod Stewart period that he lost his way? 80s and beyond. You know, some of it's fun, like, you know, a passion, infatuation, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Do you think I'm sexy? Do I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm now, right? That's like the ultimate, you know, going disco kind of like, what is he doing thing, right? <laughs> A lot of people liked it. It was a big hit, but well, it certainly wasn't Maggie Mae. No, no. But, I mean, Young Turks and some guys have all the luck. Like, those were my hits or whatever. Yeah, not sure. bad, but to me, <laughs> they're kind of lightweight, you know, compared yeah. and, and very 80s. Yes. Pinkly keyboards and the, you know, and the, you know, the poofy hair and the videos. And, yeah. Uh, and it's just, to me, he, he became a rock star. And, and he, he was so good early on. So that's why I'm... Uh, I'm him because uh, I, I missed that rod. He, he kind of misplaced that rod, and I don't think he ever quite recaptured that vibe that he had on those, those Rootsy early albums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I can certainly trace that. Um, I just have certain, you know, it's more memory things or whatever, but yeah. Um, ZZ Top, Trace Ombrace, it's phenomenal. Um, I don't know. The word sellout or like, I think that's going to come up often in this classic bracket specifically, or maybe even all of these, because we're talking about not also Rans, but we're talking about a slightly lower tier, right? You know, by default, we've got the 64 bracket of all the yeah. big, you know, so like these are all entities that were fucking great but they weren't able, maybe, for some of them, for, for a lot of them, they weren't able to keep a dollar in their pocket just on their own, maybe. And well, I don't so think... That's not true in the case of these two, though. They no, don't... but just in general, like, you get to... I'm saying you get to a point, and it's like, okay, I would like to keep living exactly at this level, yeah. and you're telling me that if I have this guy produce this and I press this keyboard every now and again, I will be able to keep living at this level? No, I, I hear you. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the whole sellout, you know. Uh, uh, I think that's, that's uh, a knee-jerk reaction that's, that's too often put into play when maybe it's not relevant. But uh, for Rob, Maybe sellout's not the right word. He just became more pop. He just changed his direction. Oh, but, but then and like, just didn't find that direction as appealing. Yeah, and it's it is a sellout thing to a degree, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, uh, yeah, I, it's just okay. Like I understand that that was made for money. Maybe I like it. Maybe I don't. But I have a like. Okay, that was a money record. You know. <laughs> um. So Rod goes on, um, got some interesting kind of thoughts on him later down the line, um, his out in the woods periods and all, like he always, I mean, he popped up Tom Waits, you know what I mean? Like, like, like he, like that, I remember downtown train and I remember Rod Stewart singing it, you know? And, uh, and Patty Smythe, do you remember her version? Um, no. She had a good version as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
Scandal, not Patty Smith, Patty Smythe. No, yeah, Patty Smythe. <laughs> I shooting at the walls of heartache. Bang, bang. Yeah. I am the warrior. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're not at the women's bracket yet. We're gonna. <laughs> That's Sean McEnroe's wife, you know. He talks to him. Yeah. All right. So Rod Stewart advances. And that brings us to number five, Journey, against number eight, Leonard Skinner. This is one of those where we kind of went back and forth. Personally, I I love both these bands, actually. I am a Journey apologist to the end of my days because it's funny because people love Journey, but yet the critics hate them, for, or they always have for whatever reason, calling them a corporate rock band and all this other nonsense uh, but you know that kind of overlooks the fact that they started out as is as almost like a progressive rock or slash fusion band before Steve Perry was there. They made three albums before Steve Perry, which not a lot of people even know. Um, and they're pretty darn good. Uh, you know, check out "Of a Lifetime" or or "Look Into the Future." Uh, those two songs, right? I mean, it's good stuff. And then, of course, the voice joins Steve Perry, right? Yeah. And, uh, and he's one of the great rock voices. And I, I think Neil Sean, who I mentioned, and Greg Raleigh, both in Santana. And that's where kind of some of the early Journey stuff does sound a little Santana-like. Uh, you know, but obviously they went much more commercial with uh, with Perry. And he brought the success, and they became a massive band, especially Escape, you know, mm -hmm. with, you know uh, Don't Stop Believing, which became huge again years later with The Sopranos. And I think it's maybe the most downloaded song on Spotify ever. I think I heard that. Uh, so, Journey, go, go listen to their Greatest Hits album, man. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, you, not only you have a great singer, great guitar player, Jonathan Cain was, uh, you know, another good songwriter, keyboard player. They had two phenomenal drummers, Ansley Dam Dunbar. Uh, guy played with, like, everybody. Look at his bio in Wikipedia. I mean, he, the guy played with everybody. And uh, Steve Smith, another guy. Legendary drummers. And, like, so So where they get this corporate rock nonsense, these, these are legendary musicians. What are you talking about? And they had great songs and an amazing singer. So, um, you know, they, they could be cheesy a little bit, for sure. Very 80s, you know, with the keyboards at times. But I will go to my grave as a, as a huge Journey fan. And uh, don't stop believing. I always think, as a Met fan, you'll appreciate this. I saw Journey in concert, and uh, they were great. This was when Randy Jackson from American Idol was actually in the band. He was the bass player. And uh, we got home from the concert just in time for the ninth inning of game six, 1986, against Boston. The Mets, you know, obviously that great comeback with Mookie Wilson. And so every time I hear the song, I, I think back to that memory of coming home from the Journey concert, watching the end of that game, my friends saying, no, they're gonna win. And I was like, you're crazy, it's over, man. You know, he's a big Mets fan. And he had tickets to game seven. That was a crazy thing, and then, Obviously, they won, and we, we all piled on to each other after the game, and it was great. So I always think of that. It's a good memory. Uh, you know, we could reel off great Journey songs. I mean, in any way you want it, Wheel in the Sky, feeling that way in any time. I'd always play it in tandem on the radio. Who's Crying Now and Stone in Love. I listen to those outro solos on both of those. 
Mm. Um, you know, this faithfully, right? You talk about power balance, right? Journey, own the power balance, open arms, right? Uh, great band. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, I don't know why the critics don't like them, because to me, they, they have obvious virtues. But I think we we're going to go with, with uh, Skinner, right? I mean, I think uh, at the end of the day, Skinner is, uh, is just a little bit more legendary, a little bit more impactful. They were the Southern rock band, you know, along with the Allman Brothers. That first album alone, right? Yeah, it's Freebird, right? Do we even need to talk about Freebird? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you had Sweet Home Alabama on the second album. Back to that first album, you had, you know, Tuesday's Gone. What a great song that is, man. I mean, if you, if you don't know that one, again, one of those classic rock songs that, that kind of they don't play anymore. Simple Man. I mean, that's the thing about Skinner, right? They, they kind of have this reputation as these these dumb hicks, you know, who fly the Confederate flag and all this, but listen to Ronnie Van Zandt's lyrics. Listen to Simple Man. I mean, those are great lyrics. They're very intelligent and, you know, simple, but but so heartfelt and, and so words to live by, really, and uh, great song. And uh, they made, I believe, five original albums, um, plus a, a very good live album in their original incarnation unfortunately they got on that plane and we know what happened after that very tragic and and i think some of the later comebacks take a, a little bit away from from the earlier stuff to me leonard skinner really as as a legit entity kind of I, I really just think of the ronnie van Zandt band version of the band the later version yeah i'm sure they were fun live and all that but it, you know me, Ronnie Van Zandt was Leonard Skinner, or the main guy in it, and I guess Journey had some of that too, because they kept going after Steve Perry, and it's more of a nostalgia thing, really, than anything, right? But yeah. I, I think, you know, you just talk about their stature and, and, and what a great live band they were as well, Skinner, and, and what they meant to that era. Uh, I think they they definitely just rank a little bit higher. Then Journey, you know, you have Don't Stop Believing versus Freebird. Even even then, I think Freebird is is you know, it's just a little bit more legendary. And uh, you know, uh, like even their last album with uh, Ronnie Benson Street Survivors was was arguably their best album or one of them. Had that smell, What's Your Name, you know, all these great songs, and it just showed they were they had so much more to give. You know, they were they were in their prime, cut down in their prime. What a shame! But those 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 albums still they still sound great. They hold up, and they they, they don't they haven't dated in any way. They, they kind of have a timeless sound. As a result, I think they go on. Yeah, I fucking love Skinner. Um, you just kind of dumped on uh, on eighth grade Matt. I saw the johnny van zant the third or whatever tour <laughs> I, I said uh, you know i'm sure they were good in concert but to me leonard skinner is ronnie oh, van for sure for sure um it was fun i mean it was fun but no skinner it's more than just ronnie van zant but i think these days yeah. it's barely anybody anymore yeah yeah because they had three three good guitar players yeah. uh at various times, uh, very good piano player as well. Actually, good drummer. Yeah, they were the full package for sure. Good drummer, my dude, Artemis Pal, right? Wasn't that his name? 
Yeah, he was their second drummer, actually. Bob Burns, I believe, was the first drummer. Yeah. But uh, uh, Paul, was he the... I think he was the, the second drummer. Or was he the keyboard player? Powell was the keyboard player, actually. Artemis Pyle. Drums with Leonard Skinner. Yes. Yeah. You know what's, what's interesting is uh, Ed King, one of their guitar players, was originally in the Strawberry Alarm Clock. Remember oh, Incense and Peppermint? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. You, would never, you would never think that, right? Well. He left, and then Steve Gaines came on board, and yes. I feel like he received them a shot in the arm, you know. And 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 you know, uh, no disrespect to Ed King, he was great too. But but Gaines and his sister also both guitarists in in that plane crash as well. She sang backing vocals, and yep. uh, I really feel like uh, he, they kind of gave that band a shot in the arm, and that's why that last album was so strong. So. You said all that can be said about Journey. I love the hits. Probably too much, right? What's that? <laughs> I said probably too much. <laughs> well, is it is it too forward of me to ask your friend? Did he go to the show with you, or did you watch the game? He did. I believe he did. Yeah, because yeah, we went to the show together. We ended up back at his house, and we watched the end of the game. Does he listen to this? I don't think he does. Okay. Maybe I'll I'll tell him to listen to this one. Well, I mean, you're not you're this is uh to quote Goodwill Hunting in a different way, that's game six, man. <laughs> but like you weren't watching. <laughs> hey, we had a journey concert together. We got maybe, all this time. Maybe Journey should win the whole bracket now. <laughs> they don't stop believing. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Skinner goes over. Um, I just, I, I frankly, I think there's a little more legitimacy, and maybe that's fabricated. And I've seen it through the critics' eyes, or the yeah, no, it's there's a certain unhipness to Journey, that for sure. That that kind of you know they're viewed as a guilty pleasure, you know. Yeah. You, you know any backhanded compliments, you you know any comments are usually of the backhanded variety, mm -hmm. you know. So can see that, yeah, they, yeah, they had some talent, but they were yeah. kind of cheap. Yeah. All right. Well, now our next, you know, our next thing to do, we'll have justice for Journey. We'll, uh, we'll do a, a, <laughs> a month-long deep dive or something. You can definitely do that. But um, you may we'll bail on me at some point while well, we. Hey, <laughs> we're gonna uh, jump into the next matchup, number six, Steely Dan, against number seven. Chicago. Again, I have a lot of love for both of these bands. I think both of these bands could have been strong contenders for the original 64. Mm -hmm. I think Chicago had like five number one albums in a row at one point in the 70s. I mean, they were, people forget how massive Chicago was. They were a great band when they first started. Everyone, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Chicago. People remember the the later version of the band, you know, when they were this easy listening ballad band. And uh gotta admit I like some of those songs. You know, they're they're you know, you put them on when you're in the car by yourself, you put them on, you'll sing, but but if you're with your buds, you'd be like, get this off, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, you know, it's a different band really. The early version of the band was was really hard rocking and 
almost avant-garde at times. It was very risk-taking. And the first two albums were double albums. I mean, that just shows how ambitious they were. So many great songs, beginnings. Does anybody really know what time it is? Quite, you know, 25 or 64, you know, then you get Saturday in the Park, Dialogue, uh, that horn section, right? You know, rock band with horns, very influential, very innovative, uh, along with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, who, who were a little similar in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a guitar god, too. Terry Kath was an amazing guitar player. Even Jimi Hendrix famously said, your guitar player is better than me, you know? And, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm not sure I would go that far, but uh, that's how, how how good the guy was. And, you know, they had three singer-songwriter mates. You know, they all wrote, actually, but all, almost all of them wrote. But you had Robert Lamb, the main songwriter, and then Kath himself had a great soulful voice in addition to being a great guitar player. And then Peter Cetera was, had that high-pitched, distinctive voice, almost like Sting, right? And his in his high-pitched distinctiveness, not exactly the same, but also a very underrated bass player uh, in the mm-hmm. early years. They could really jam, I and mean, they were really, they were the full package. But I, I think the problem is, you know, if we were saying, you know, just the first seven albums, for example, I would probably say Chicago, or, or I might say Chicago. But then you have all this other stuff afterwards where they kind of soiled the legacy. With, and we're going to say selling out, right? Because, you know, I think you can certainly make a case uh, that they did. And uh, there was some good stuff there. There was It was almost a different band. And, and they were pretty good at that that mellow pop ballad style. But it, it kind of took away, I think, from, from the original conceit of the band. And uh, just wasn't nearly as impressive. Whereas Steely Dan had an impeccable legacy. I mean, their first six albums were all great, all of them. Um, you know, they had that very slick sound, impeccable impeccable productions, uh, very kind of jazzy, yep. uh, great musicianship. You know, it was, Donald, it was really two guys, Donald Fagan and, and Walter Becker, but they used all these amazing session musicians. And uh, we, and, you know, you talk about great guitar playing. Like, what band had more great guitar solos than Steely Dan? And the problem, the difference is, it was done by like ten different guys. It wasn't just Jimmy Page or Eddie Van Halen or you know who is uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter and Elliot Randall and Danny Diaz and and Larry Carlton and Jay Graydon and uh, and Becker himself and like and some other guys too. Um, so Rick Derringer was another one. So like, oh, shit. yeah, he played on that with with them as well. So uh, again, you know, Aja, right? It's like the ultimate like supper club album, right? Put it on with dinner guests, and it's just a smooth, slick sound, but it's, it's so sophisticated and and sounds so good. Yet you you look at you listen to some of their albums, and and there's a kind of a dirtiness to the lyric the salaciousness uh, you know they're named after a dildo in william burrow's uh, uh novel the naked, naked lunch yeah so they, they were kind of there's a certain perversion almost to some of their songs but it was also kind of tongue-in-cheek you know and uh they're very clever 
Uh, Fagan uh, wasn't the vocalist. Maybe the guys in Chicago was, but he, you know, he got the job done as well. Um, so again, I got to go with that consistency. Uh, they never embarrassed themselves. Even when they came back, it wasn't as good as the early stuff, but it wasn't bad. And, uh, you know, so... Was that two against nature? Against nature, and then there was one after that as well, and everything must go, I think. Yeah. Was yeah. You know, Gaucho wasn't as good, uh, but again, that had a 19 and some other good stuff. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so, you know, but those first six albums, man, they're, they're all really, really good. Um, so Chicago just stuck around too long past their prime and, and kind of, you know, it's not their fault that, you know, Terry Cat died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He, in one of those crazy stories, right? He was playing around with a gun. He didn't think it was loaded and he killed himself. Um, what a waste, right? Because yeah. I, I think he was the soul of the band and they were never the same after that. And, uh, you know, the, the quality suffered after that. And uh, you got to take the whole package and uh, you judge the entirety of their output. Steely Dan wins because of that. Yeah. Peter Cetera, Karate Kid. I am the man who will fight for your honor. That. Yeah. Glory that of love. Glory of love. <laughs> Did I mention Beginnings? Chicago, that's yes. one of the yes. all-time favorite yes. songs. They had a great drummer as well, Danny Serafine. They're very good musicians overall. Cetera sung the hell out of that. I, um, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's if you, with the selling out thing, if you did it to get big, that's worse than if you were big on your own merit and did it to just stay big. I think uh, one of the guys in Genesis had, had basically, I, I think, said it well. He said, basically, if you're making music you believe in, you're not selling out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the bottom line. You know, if, if this is, you know, sometimes, you know, like a band like Metallica with the Black Album, they had done the whole, you know, let's make music as complex as we can make it. Now it's time to try to make something more accessible and it makes sense. Yet they get killed for selling out. So, I mean, if you believe in it, then you're not selling out. And if it, hey, if it, if it sells more albums, Hey, you got, you know, what's wrong with, you know, that's your livelihood. What's wrong with making some money, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if, if, if you're trying to make it and somebody's like, yo, if you do these five things, you'll make it and you do that. Then you're doing like, it and you're not, and you're not doing it because you believe in it. Yeah. That, and it's that just, is or you yeah. just believe in making it. You know what I mean? Like you're not trying to make it. Yeah. When you give up, you know, when you when you're not when you're not doing it for artistic reasons, I guess. Yeah. But then you've got like Chicago got there uh, by doing it the right way, arguably, like, I guess, right? Yeah. I can't sad. really knock them for or like it's not just Chicago. It's it's Santana, Skinner. Like there's a lot of folks that we're going to be talking about. But I can't really knock them for just saying, yeah, no, we want to keep doing this <laughs> because we did it. We broke our ass 
and pay us, motherfuckers. Sorry, you know, but like I like driving my Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I was in touch with the working man, but they put on Chicago's greatest hits, and uh, you know, and it's worth every penny. Great, you know? great. Um, and you know, I do think having the three singers made them unique. Having that horn section made them unique. So great, great band who I think are uh, kind of like Journey, kind of sold short. Like there's yep. a misperception about them that's not exactly reality. Yeah, um, but Steely Dan the band moves on. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that finishes the first round here, um, bringing up the quarterfinals. Um, we would have Leonard Skinnerd against Santana, and then Steely Dan against Rod Stewart. So Skinnerd, Santana. What do you think, Scott? Ooh, this is a tough one. This is a very tough one. Um, wow. I think uh, I think Santana is just a little bit more legendary overall. I think there's a little more variety to what they did with the original band and then going more to the fusion and going more to the, the commercial. I think they, they had a little more uh, tools in the toolkit, so yes. to speak. Um, you know, and, and Skinner was cut down in their prime and maybe had they stuck around, they would have warranted, you know, they would have done more and they would have been, you know, even more legendary. I think, uh, the sticking around past their prime is, is a shell of their former self. I, I think you could maybe make a case. Both of them have done that a little bit, but I think Skinner more so. And then you have that silly Confederate flag flying around, which kind of is another reason to like lean towards Santana. So I would say Santana, although, you know, it's close. It's close for sure. But uh, I think Carlos and, and, uh, and when I think of Santana, I think more so the early band of Santana, not Carlos and, and a bunch of hard guns. But uh, so I think they, they deserve to move on and they, all things being equal, you, you got that Woodstock, that iconic performance that we we still see, you know, and uh, it really resonates even today. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of the first things you see in anything trying to sum up a culture or a period um, as far as the 60s go, it's iconic. Um, speaking of iconic, I... Man, I had a Skinner shirt and it had the Confederate flag on it. And I wore it around high school because I love Leonard Skinner. And I do, I do too. Yeah. You know, uh, out east on Long Island, you know, there might be some folks that like that flag for the wrong reasons, uh, not just a color choice. I, I, you know, without pointing any fingers, any towns or anything, it's they, Long Island's got some. Some folks that like that flag. <laughs> and uh, my wife from down there, and we're not a political podcast, don't worry. Um, we're not going to be like Eddie Vedder at the Nassau Coliseum here. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of heat on that. And I do feel that Skinner, to me, represented a pride in yourself pride in who you are and I think that's what their songs gave to me 
um, not necessarily a pride, like a pride in where you come from, but also an understanding yeah. of that, or a, just a better, you know, it's not a, it's not a great look. But I think that part of that's part of the misperception about them, though, that they yeah. were these, these dumb hicks who wrote these, you know, you know, Freebird and all that. You know, they, they, there was an intelligence to their music that I think is is uh, kind of undersold. You yep. know, Ronnie Van Sant was a very good lyricist. Hell yeah, he was, man. Um, like, so, you know, and they were good at, they were good at ballads, too. Like, Ballad of Curtis Lowe was another yep. really cool tune. Coming Home, which I think was posthumously released, was a great song. Um, yeah, they had a lot of good stuff. You know, Saturday Night Special, Anti-Gun song. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. And so it had a message, yet you could rock out to it. It was, and it was rocked hard, you know. So that was what made Skinner special. Yeah. That smell was basically a straight edge song, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and and even if you don't like the message, man, those guitars, right? Yep. Oak tree in my way, damn. No, they were good. Yeah. Um. So, if you want to go with Santana, I'm like, I'm second guessing it. Well, but here's <laughs> and here's what I've got for Santana. One of the first times I heard the Spanish language was through Santana, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. I mean, that whole Latin angle is they're the Latin rock band. Yeah. yeah. So, all and right. Sort of putting that all things semi equal, we got Woodstock and the Latin thing. So I think yeah. that's enough. Yeah. yeah. So. But but Skinner bows out with pride in yes. a very close call that it really could have went either way. Yes, a a a pride, but a but a humbled pride on one particular point. Uh, as Skinnerd acolytes, the drive-by truckers, uh, would have said, "Compelled but not defeated." Is that the that's on the American Band by the Truckers? The Mike Cooley songs are incredible. So. Very cool band, Drive-By Truckers. Huge Skinner fans. If yeah. You, if you're not aware of them, check them out. For yes, sure. definitely. And, definitely. and their, their Southern Rock Opera was really a, almost like a, a tribute to Leonard Skinner. And a song called Betamax Guillotine about uh, it was how it was rumored that uh, one of the guys died in the plane. Yeah, and, and Neil and Ronnie, right? Neil, yep. Ronnie and Neil. It's one of their best songs also. Yeah. Very good stuff, but that's another uh, another episode. So Skinnerd, we tip our caps to you, and uh, Santana will move on to the semifinals, where uh, it's going to be Eric Clapton versus Santana. Interesting. But before that, we've got Rod Stewart, the number four seed, against the number six seed, Steely Dan. So we've kind of talked about these guys already in length. I think Steely Dan moves on just because of the consistency and, and the fact that they, they've they never embarrassed themselves and they, they've just kind of stayed the course. And uh, just overall, you know, you talk about Rod's best stuff is great, but he's got a lot of stuff that's not so great. Steely Dan has a lot of great stuff too, and, and they don't have a lot of stuff that's not so great. So to me, this is an easy call. Yeah, no, Dan, Steely Dan goes by far. Um, 
but maybe not by so far. I mean, I even like that, uh, bring all the sun in your own Motown. He's got a song about Motown, but it's like very 90s. Um, yeah, Rod Stewart, you know. And I, I remember having to buy my uh, grandma all those those songbook CDs. Again, it kind of shows, you know, his enduring popularity. Yeah. And my grandma probably yelled at him for being, you know, a, a weirdo talking about hot legs 30 years before. Well, <laughs> so, that was his weakness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Steely Dan moves on, but thank you for your time, Rod the Mob. Semifinals, Santana Clapton. Two guitar gods, right? Yeah. Oh, it's a tough one. I I think uh, Clapton wins. You know, I think Stephen Van Zandt had a had a good line. He was writing about Clapton and Rolling Stone, and he, he said something like he had seven years of some of the most extraordinary guitar playing imaginable, and then thirty five years of producing good work, or whatever amount of years it is now. You know, this was a while ago. So I think, you know, Clapton had that early peak, right, with, with Cream, obviously. And, you know, and obviously the Yardbirds and May all before that and Blind Faith with the one-off. But we're, we're really focusing on the solo career. And even that was, it was impressive, but it's a little like Rod in that he's a, he's, he's a legend, but also kind of an underachiever, you yeah. know? Yeah. His best stuff is phenomenal. Layla is to me one of the greatest albums of all time and one of the greatest songs of all time, certainly. Uh, certainly some credit to his band is due there. You know, uh, excuse me, Layla, uh, uh, Dwayne Allman. You know, a lot of the great guitar playing on that album it isn't even Eric, it's mm -hmm. Dwayne. And uh, you know, Jim Gordon, the drummer who, who wrote the piano coda to Layla, and you know, he famously was a schizophrenic who ended up murdering his mother. Uh, sad case. Uh, Bobby Whitlock, uh, the backing vocals on that album. He, he's almost like a co-lead singer, really. And played uh, moody keyboards as well. So, uh, you know, then he, he did, uh, you know, the first album uh, had Let It Rain, right? That was a great song. And then uh, he did a lot of good albums. I think 463 Ocean, uh, 461 Ocean Boulevard. Yeah. That's one that had I Shot the Sheriff, uh, Let It Grow. And then you had Slow Hand was another one that had Cocaine and Lay Down Sally. And of course, Wonderful Tonight, right? And, uh, you know, he had a lot of good albums, but a lot of, eh, you know, Matt albums too. And I think he had a kind of a, another comeback later on with Journeyman was a really strong album. And then you had The Unplugged, which was kind of like that late career yeah, uh, you know, comeback like like uh, Supernatural almost. That he, you know, he won these belated Grammys, which kind of almost felt like a lifetime achievement award. You know, and then uh, he did that uh, from the cradle, right? That that yep. that blues album that that fans had wanted him to make since the the John Mayall days in the mid '60s, and and it was great. And I thought that was uh, kind of a late career peak, and uh, honestly. What I've heard since then hasn't overly excited me, but hey, the guy's what, in his 70s? So, you know, he's like the Stones at this point, right? You, you know, you, whatever, whatever you get, it's, uh, don't expect too much. And, and some of it's not bad, but 
you know, we, we go back to his prime and there's a, you know, like that Crossroads box set, if you remember that, it came out in the, in the late 80s and it kind of renewed his popularity and then Journeyman kind of came in and, and he kind of took that to the next level with, with that second late career peak. But listen to that Crossroads box set and there's just so much good stuff there. So uh, I think uh, despite some underachievement, he's going to win. I think you could say Carlos has underachieved at times as well after his, you know, his great beginning. Uh, overall, I think Clapton's just a bit more of a presence in, in popular music. Uh, they're both phenomenal guitar players. I think Clapton, even, you know, wins that slightly as well. When he, when he ranked the all-time great guitar players, you know, Santana, he's probably in the top 20 there somewhere, but Clapton's probably in the top five, you know. And uh, so I, I got to go with Clapton, even though I'm, I'm still a big fan of Santana. Yeah, I mean, that's, can't really say it any different myself. I think I see that happening. Um, Scott, when you, uh, when you were talking about the piano coda to Layla, I thought you were going to start talking about the famous sort of Goodfellas scene with oh, the, the body reveal, but instead you talked about a, an actual, I didn't know that there was a real life sort yeah. of concern there. Holy smoke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Goodfellas, right? One of the greatest uses of, of the song in any movie, right? I, I can't hear a good a Layla without thinking of that movie. But yeah, Jim Gordon was an interesting guy because he was uh, again, look at his Wikipedia bio, man. The guy played on so many sessions. He was with the Wrecking Crew. Mm. You know, the, the, and he played on a bazillion sessions. A great drummer. And uh, unfortunately, he was a schizophrenic and, and he murdered his mother and he's in jail now. And uh, it's a sad story, but yeah, did write the piano and play the piano code of the Layla. Even though he was a drummer, he played the piano on that. So that's the interesting thing about Clapton. His signature song is Layla. Meanwhile, Jim Gordon wrote the piano part. The best guitar parts in that song are Dwayne Allman. So his signature song is really almost like, you know, these other two guys were so huge in making it what it was, yet it's like, Eric Clapton's song, you know. Well, he put the work in. Didn't isn't he the one that had the affair that the song's about, or is that? <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> he earned it, right? He lived through whatever the hell that was, so that's he gets to, That's his. That's his. His song. Well, um, God bless him. The most under they, they, he, the guy stole his wife, and they were still best friends. So yeah. That's that's the rock and roll lifestyle, I guess, right? So Harrison stole Clapton. No, the other way around. Oh, Clapton stole Harrison. Yeah. So Patty Boyd, yes, yeah, you know, he wrote "Here Comes the Sun," I believe, uh, or something, one of those songs. Uh, so she was the muse of both. And then she divorced Clapton too. So it was good for them. I'm sure they all had a had a good time. Steely Dan against the Grateful Dead. We finally get to the dead, huh? <laughs> so, uh, one of those bands like if you just listen to the studio albums you'd be like you know this is easily steely dan right but you know there were some good studio albums you know american beauty especially uh working man's dead when they they were kind of influenced by the band and they went into this more folk rock direction but 
Now, they started out as a psychedelic rock band with the Summer Love and that whole Hyde Asbury scene. They were the main band of that scene, along with the Jefferson Airplane. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Dead did it all. That's the thing. They did psychedelic. They did folk. They did everything in between. And, and really, you know, I think Spotify, for example, is kind of really kind of... Sh- now that it's all like readily available, all these concerts, like, you know, you can't, like, that's the thing with Grateful Dead fans, right? Everyone knows they're like the ultimate cult band, right? And people would follow them. And you, you can't just say, oh, let's say CC Rider or whatever is my favorite song. You got to say, no, this 1970, you know, July yep. 1st, 1972, yep. that version, right? And there are websites that list like the greatest, you know, the 30 greatest versions of this one song. And they're all different. That's what makes mm-hmm. the Grateful Dead amazing. And, and, the, and you know, Jerry Garcia was kind of, you know, he had this great, you know, high-pitched guitar sound. And uh, the whole rest, they weren't great. He wasn't a great singer. You know, they, maybe they weren't the best musicians overall, but they, they had a certain magic to them. They could be a little boring at times, maybe uh, a little meandering. You know, you know there's that Keith Richards uh, joke, right? The, what did the, the Grateful Dead the fan say to the other one when they were sober? This band sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that joke never attributed to uh, Keith. Uh, yeah, really? Well, oh. I heard, yeah. I don't know, maybe he stole it from someone else, but, you know, they took you on a trip, Captain Trips. That was Jerry Garcia's uh, nickname, right? And, uh, you know, if you're going to stra- be stranded on a desert island and you could pick one band to have their entire catalog, you could do a lot worse because they'll keep you busy. Like, you know, again, you just play like this song, right? And it's 35 minutes, but they take you in so many different places during those 35 minutes. And, and that's why, to me, they're just a fascinating band. And uh, and as much as I love uh, Steely Dan, that's who they're against, right? Steely Dan. Yeah. Um, the, the Grateful Dead. To me, you know, what they did is they created that whole jam band scene, also, right? I mean, which you know, Fish, Dave Matthews, all those bands. Uh, you know, people still love that whole scene that they created, and uh, and they they create a whole different model for for being a successful rock band. So they have all these other things in addition to their music, you know, culturally, that, that places them above Steely Dan. And, uh, and they, had, they did a lot of great music, you know, you know, maybe a lot of not so great music too. Some of the studio albums, it didn't really capture what they were about. And some of the, the old, you know, there's so much live stuff, where do you even start? But when, when, you, when you listen to the best stuff, it, it's really good. It's really unique. It's, it's they're a genre unto themselves and not many bands can say that and uh, I think that's why they deserve to move on. Yeah. I think there's a pure critic studio album to studio album conversation where Steely Dan is victorious. I do. Um, But that's not the conversation we're having at this particular moment in time. The dead is an entity. uh, Ring out and I champion what you said, Scott, and uh, Appreciate is an expert here, folks, that has put the Grateful Dead over Steely Dan. It's an interesting matchup. You have a band who is known, you know, mostly as a live band versus a band who didn't tour for many years and yep. were exclusively a studio band. 
and were so pristine with the sound on their studio records. Yeah, it That's wasn't until they came that, back, and yeah. now I know exactly, and they, they, they had impeccable sound quality. Those yeah. albums glazed over it, and they were very, they were, they're audio, they were an audiophile's delight, you know, but it uh, wasn't until they came back that they really became a live band, and, uh, you know, they, they continue to this day, even though Walter Becker passed on, not not right now, obviously with COVID, but uh, yes, they kind of reinvented themselves as a live band later on. But uh, but it's really their their studio albums, you know, where their reputation uh, rests. But you know, God. No, I've heard great things about Stewie Dan live. Um, but I mean, the dead are just. I I don't know. I I can't really speak on them without talking for two hours kind of like one of their shows right or one of their songs right <laughs> i never i never went to a dead show i um, never so i never saw them with jerry but i've seen numerous offshoots i used to go to dead cover nights um yeah i i like them a great deal um i don't want to get too wild with it but i will say in the selling out or whatever conversation i do know that people are quick to uh to dump on even you know in the dark because it's you know a touch of gray had a music video or you know and it's like yo what's up it's a good song it's a great song and they found a little bit of their sound i think they recorded that record on a stage like the whole thing was recorded while honest like loaded in on a stage so I don't know. Like I, I think they they freaked your brain and turned you on to whatever the hell you ended up into. Let them write their damn sellout record, you know. Let them let them make a video and and get a couple bucks, you know. Why why be down on it? Because I know that people were uh, same thing with like Shakedown Street is like disco dead. Like I don't know, man. Like. They're going to tour this year, so. <laughs> so what I like do you think? Hell in a Bucket was another one from that album. Yo, like Hell in a Bucket is a banger. Hell in a Bucket. Uh, Lisa, I'm enjoying the ride, right? Yeah. Sure that's, that's a Bob Weir classic. And he, he's he got to me like a link to the way Seeger sings a little. I don't well, know. He's kind of underrated because he's, so, you know, the whole, the whole, they're all so overshadowed by Jerry, but. You know, like his yeah. first solo album was like a de facto Grateful Dead album that had some classic songs on it. Well, there's some really, I mean, there's Mickey Hart records that have like snippets that became other songs like Fire on the Mountain. I, I, I mean, Fire on the Mountain is by far my favorite Dead song. Um, I couldn't tell you which live version I like the best because I well, am such a count. <laughs> <laughs> I am a student. No, uh, dead head for sure. Ripple, Ripple was a great song. Ripple's great. Um, so Dark Star, you got to talk about Dark Star, right? That's got to be the that's like their ultimate trip. Yeah, Dark I Star like the version on Live Dead. It's, you know, I will say my favorite one. That that's 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 not a whole side, is it? No, it might be. I don't know because I listen to one on CD, so I don't. Yeah, I mean. Maybe not. I'm not sure. And then that's got to turn on your love light too, right? Live Dead? Yeah. yeah. St. Stephen, 11. Yeah. 
Great record. If you want to check out the psychedelic side of the dead, that's a good start. Live dead. Remember the folksy version? There is, you know, American Beauty, I think, is the best yep. one. Yep. Working man. The number of Dick's picks uh, for the live experience or the, uh, the Oregon concert was another great one, I think, 72, maybe. Yep. Uh, Europe 72. Was Europe 72. Um, 42 and some other great ones. So, so some newish songs. They had a great version of China Cat Sunflower and. Uh, nice. I um, I'm gonna put a pin in any sort of any further dead conversation, but um, a very 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 important band to me, and now they're in the finals against Eric Clapton. I mean, what what more do we need to say or want to say about either of these here? Yeah, we're pretty much at the end of the line here. I think uh, the dead just mean more overall. Like I said, they got that whole. If I'm going to be on a desert island and I can have the catalog of both, I'm definitely picking the dead. And culturally, they, they were just more significant. Um, Clapton obviously, you know, had more of a commercial presence. Um, it's got Layla, which is better than any album the dead ever did. But overall, I think, I think the dead uh, definitely deserves to move on uh, over... Uh, over the guitar god, Eric is God Clapton. Jerry Trips Garcia and company move on. Hmm. Bob Weir. Uh, yeah. The dead, the dead gotta go. Clapton doesn't have, I don't know, there's a, there's a whole generation I track to the dead. But I guess the same could be said for Clapton. Yeah, but I think a lot of that stuff is is stuff that we're not including. You know, true. true stuff. Yeah, true. All right. You know, I think that the you, you add the you know the whole deadheads that whole thing, and then the whole jam band scene that that evolved from. Sure, the, sure, yeah, yeah. And then you got the whole bazillion live albums and how good so many of them are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think, they, again, we, we, we often come back to who casts a wider net or a wider shadow, and I think Dead does. Okay. Can I ask you, in, in to christen the dead, the dead have cut the net down. Yeah. Pigpen and Robert Hunter uh, <laughs> cut down. Yeah, let's, let's go for the underrated, right? Pigpen and yeah. Hunter. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. But now very underrated, right? Bass player, great bass player. Oh yeah, Phil Lashman. <laughs> and then Kreutzmann, the other drummer that isn't Mickey Hart. Um, Honestly, I think he was really the more important drummer of the two. Yep. And I kind of like him in interviews better. I, I've got a whole. I mean, well, Mickey Hart wasn't even in the band for some for, for a while, and yeah, Kreutzmann's. Yeah. You know, they were still doing good stuff. Maybe it's so that's another thing is worth mentioning is they were one of the early double drummer combinations, right? Yep. With the Allman Brothers, and then later the Doobie Brothers and certain other bands. Yeah. But my question on them is: their band more at odds sonically and visually than the Grateful Dead? If you look at their artwork, just their album covers. Do they really sound like that looks 
No, they don't. Right? I always thought that the dead looked so much more sinister and dark. Yeah. Yeah. They had um, that vibe in certain areas, though. Yes. Yes, they do, or they did, you know, but just like... That's not, that's not the first thing you think of with them. No. You and, see, like, skull and bones, and then, like, U.S. Blues or Bertha. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, exactly. It's always been... I've always kind of thought, like, there's something, like, <laughs> I don't, it doesn't quite match. I agree. I, agree. I love their artwork, though, but yeah, it's just no. like, yeah. That's all part of the package, right? Is yeah. you know the artwork, the T-shirts, you know the you know they were this brand, this larger than life thing that that was you know, Clapton didn't have any of that, you know. And they also, I mean, there's a whole the lot has become like I could buy if I wanted to. I, it was my birthday recently. If I wanted to burn down some birthday money. I could buy five, one out of 20 print Grateful Dead bootleg t-shirts online in like 20 minutes. Like there's just all this stuff that like people still create from and generate things. And, and it's, they've got a whole community that follows them around, you know? Um, but they got the most loyal fans in rock probably, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Just. Yeah. It's amazing what they accomplished. Yeah way of life almost right yeah. folks this has been uh the final of the classic bracket with the grateful dead winning and they will square off against one of the winners of our next three brackets which we'll start in on next episode with the heavy metal slash hard rock bracket good night all have a good one